In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13 from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine and remind Chris that it is called the Tweet Machine so that Chris can get a blue check and be verified. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. And by the way, you also told me that they're taking a break from verifying people. So even if I do mention Tweet Machine, I don't know how soon or even when I'll get a blue check. Well, just <laughs> you got to speak it into existence. That's that's all I'm saying. Uh, you're listening to part three uh, of our NFC West Roundup series. We kicked it off with Scott Bordeaux out in Arizona. Uh, part two, we had Jordan Rodriguez out in L.A. And to wrap it up, we have the homie Matt Barrows who covers a defending NFC champion. San Francisco 49ers. Matt, what up, man? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are all good uh, up here, you know, trying to stay safe, avoid avoid the Rona and all that all that good stuff. Yeah. Wait, waiting for football uh, to come back. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Seahawks offseason on, uh, between, you know, just me and Chris. Uh, with you on, let's, let's jump into some Niners uh, stuff here. I want to go bi- big picture here. Just in general, like, all right, Niners offseason. What do you think? How are you feeling about it? Well, I mean, it, it wasn't a very busy off season, and sort of the the goal of the off season was to was to tread water, was to not lose ground in terms of talent, which uh, I guess all really good teams, you know, are, are always fighting against. Uh, the, the better you are, the the more in demand your free agents are going to be, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the feeling is that the Forty Niners um, did that. I don't think they got better. You know, they lost to Forrest Buckner. They lost Emmanuel Sanders. They lost Joe Staley. Those were the big three losses that this team suffered. To replace them, they they got Trent Williams. So that's either you know an even or even a gain, I would think, at left tackle. They drafted to replace DeForest Buckner. They drafted Javon Kinlaw uh, in the first round. I think Kinlaw is going to be great, but he's not going to be DeForest Buckner. Certainly not in his first season. So I think that's that's a bit of a loss. And then their other first-round pick on Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, and he's the guy that is expected to replace Emmanuel Sanders. And I think, again, uh, a rookie a rookie in a year dominated by coronavirus, you can't expect him in, in 2020 to duplicate what 
Emmanuel Sanders did for your team in the second half of last year. So, you know, that's where they stand. I, I, I think that they can make up some ground in, in other areas. They were not a healthy team at all last year, and yet still finished with 13 wins, the, the number one seed uh, in the NFC. So if that injury stuff sort of returns to the mean at least, or maybe they even get lucky, I think that that can go a long way to making this team even better than it was uh, a year ago. Was there anything that uh, you kind of had, if you uh, put your GM hat on in like February or whatever, maybe whenever you finally decompressed from covering that Super Bowl run, that you're like, you know, it'd be great if the Niners did this, you know, something maybe you wish they would have done or maybe should have done to stay ahead or get better this offseason? Well, I mean, their, their big conundrum was that they had two really good defensive linemen Buckner and Eric Armstead heading for free agency or or looking for new deals. Buckner had one more year left on on his contract, and you know they they felt like they couldn't uh, accommodate both and and still do some of the other things like signing Jimmy Ward their their safety. So they they uh, you know basically ripped the bandaid off and said goodbye to a guy who's really been the bedrock of that defensive line and, and really the, the locker room. I mean, DeForest Buckner is solid in so many ways. Never gets injured. You never have to take him off the field. He's a leader in the locker room. So that was a, that was a big loss for this team and a big decision. Uh, and so, I mean, th- that's the question moving forward. I don't know the answer to it. Is Was keeping, basically, it was keeping Eric Armstead and, and Jimmy Ward, was that a smarter move than keeping DeForest Buckner? I don't, I mean, I, I think it could go either way. I don't know the answer. The, the answer will be, you know, evident, I think, in a couple of years. But uh, I think that's a, a, a big question mark as far as um, uh, their off season so far. You did mention some of the acquisitions the 49ers did make during the offseason, but Trent Williams, one that stood out to me, I thought he's, I think he's a really talented left tackle in the NFL. What kind of impact do you think he'll have with the offense going into this 2020 campaign? Huge impact. I mean, um, Joe Staley is, you know, the, the best offensive lineman I've ever covered. And I've been covering the, this team since 2003. He put a block on a, on a Saints safety in the uh, 2011 divisional game that was, you know, 25 yards downfield and you know, allowed his quarterback to, to run in for a huge touchdown in that game. That's the, that's the best block I've ever seen an offensive lineman make. And, and so when you lose a guy like that, and it was a bit unexpected, you think, oh boy, that's going to really set the team back years. Great offensive tackles are so hard to find. Well, they they added a guy who's who might be even better than Joe Staley. Might be just as maneuverable you know Trent Williams is a huge powerful guy who can move really well and he's also familiar with Kyle Shanahan's offense having having played it in Washington so uh it's um you know like I said that that might even be as colossal a loss as that was that might even be a plus for this team just because Trent Williams is younger ostensibly healthier and, uh, you know, might be better in, in tight quarters, you know, around the goal line, those types of places than Staley was. So I agree. I, I think that's a, a huge move. Um, it probably has been underappreciated in the Bay Area just because it happened during the draft. And, you know, there was so much else going on. But, you know, to, to kind of lose a, a marquee player and replace him with an even more marquee player, I think was uh, really lucky and fortunate for this team. 
considering the Niners did make it to the Super Bowl, they won the NFC, do you have a feeling that perhaps they figured, you know what, we don't have to do too much this offseason to improve as long as we go and get a Trent Williams, we draft well, we can be in the mix again. Is that kind of the feel you have? Yeah, that was the the mantra right after the, the Super Bowl loss. Uh, you know, let's keep this gang together. That was, you know, Kyle Shanahan has said he, he felt this, you know, uh, early on in the 2019 season that he had the best team in the NFL. You know, I, I tend to think that, you know, the Chiefs and maybe the Ravens might have something to think about that, but I thought that the 49ers towards the end there were the class in the NFC, and you know the the ease with which they dispatched the the Packers and Vikings sort of confirmed that. So they just wanted to kind of keep the core of that team together, and you know for the most part they did. Again, the Forrest Buckner is a is a big uh, kind of missing piece to that team. DeForest Buckner, in the four years that I covered him, missed exactly one game, which when you're playing in the trenches like he does, is, uh, is remarkable. And he played a lot of snaps, too. He was their snap leader every year. He had over 1,000 snaps one of those seasons, which is really unheard of for a defensive lineman. So uh, I just wonder, moving forward, whether they're going to be missing that um, consistency that, that he brought. When you when you mentioned that uh that Joe Staley block is that the the game against the Saints that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it was against the Saints. That was uh, the Saints had just taken the lead late in that game, and the 49ers had like a really stodgy offense that year, and uh, you know that was the play that they needed to retake the lead, and uh, Candlestick Park absolutely exploded. Of course, they then lost the lead even as quickly as they took it. And then had to march down the field one more time to, uh, with that uh, that throw to Vernon Davis. Yeah, I, I, when you said that, I was like, "Wait, why does that sound familiar?" I'm pl- I just pulled it up. Man, yeah, Joe was moving. Yeah, <laughs> he gets this DB at like the ten yard line. Wow, that's that is impressive. That's, that's going to be hard to fix. He ran that. something like a four seven five at the combine. Um, Joe is a former former track guy, like like big time track guy, like running the two hundred. Uh, that type of stuff. Uh, so he's always had wheels, and getting up to around 300 pounds never really sort of diminished those wheels. That yeah. is scary. I, we, we did just watch the clip, and he is moving. I mean, I would probably crap myself seeing someone that big moving that fast <laughs> coming to to blow me up to make room for his running back. I mean, that is insane. Yeah, yeah. That's when you step out of the way, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Thing. Let the let the bowl go on by. You, uh, thank you, Chris, for bringing up Trent Williams again. I remind me, he did play in Washington, and in Washington is where he slapped Richard Sherman in the face. Uh, forgot about that. There's some Niners got some good history here. Uh, uh, do you know if Sherman Sherman Trent cool now? Is that that in the past? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. That they, they did do a little um, makeup session via Twitter after the trade was uh, or after the signing was made. So. Um, you know, with with Sherman, um, unless you're Michael Crabtree or Jim Harbaugh, um, he he can he can get over those uh, those pretty quickly if he wants to. So uh, I I think that that's been been Barry, but uh, we, they haven't um, they haven't been face to face yet. Oh wow! Well, maybe we'll add Drew Brees to that list of people Richard Sherman's not not rocking with either. <laughs> He's been going after Drew uh, for for a little bit there. Uh, but this is I know you've written about this question. You've you've probably talked about it a million times, but I've just loved we're we're a few months removed from it now. So answer this for me here, Matt. You know, 
Why didn't the Niners win the Super Bowl? Why didn't the 49ers win the Super Bowl? The, the, the main reason, I think, is because they were playing a really, really good team. Um, and, frankly, um, Andy Reid made some adjustments um, late in that game. He started, you know, the, the 49ers' strength is their pass rush, and it, and it certainly was that year, and it was in that game early on. The 49ers were winning 20-10 to 10 midway through the fourth quarter. Um, and then all of a sudden they weren't, and it, the, the reason why is because uh, you know there's one gigantic play where uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say it seems like Patrick Mahomes took like a 20 step drop on the play, <laughs> um, and that's to you know obviously get away from that 49ers pass rush, and uh, it still almost got there, but he uncorked a really deep pass to Tyreek Hill. And that what and the route was on at that point. And the 49ers just could not staunch it um, after that. And uh, you know, usually, uh, especially towards the end of the season, the the offense has responded. Um, Chris Jones made a, a two really big um, uh, pass deflections uh, in that game, where you know the, the 49ers likely would have had an answer. Um, to to the uh, to the Chiefs' um, response, and um, they just couldn't muster it. I mean, it was just it was the one of the worst seven minutes, or I think you could easily say it was the worst seven minutes that they had uh, during the season on on both offense and defense. And uh, it obviously happened at just the most inopportune time. You know, watching stuff like The Last Dance, um, uh, Michael Jordan doc, uh, and any sports doc, really, there's always like that moment. Uh, where, like, the guys reflect, like, okay, yeah, this is kind of where it all turned, uh, whether it's, like, a random jump ball in whatever series, that maybe against the Pacers or whatever. Jordan, there were so many of them in that one. Could you feel uh, that Patrick Mahomes deep ball you're talking about? I forget the name of the – Wasp? Is the name of the play Wasp? Let's go with that. Uh, could you feel things turning uh, at that time? Was that one of those moments you're like, uh-oh, this is, this is not going to go over the 49ers' way from here on out? Yeah, absolutely, um, for sure. Um, I forget what down it was or the exact uh, distance, but it was third and long. Um, and and you felt, I mean, the the momentum had been just going in the 49ers' direction. Mahomes had no answers at that point. Um, he wasn't having a very good game at all. Um, and that they were able to Houdini their way out of that situation, not just Houdini out of the situation, but to get a huge... Uh, chunk play on that, and they, and they scored a touchdown on that drive. Um, it, it, it flipped everything. Uh, it, it turned all the momentum, and, and that's what you know the, the NFL is about. If, if you can just grab that mo at the at the precise time, um, you know you're going to be good. And that's what the that's what the Chiefs did. Now, um, if you'll recall, the 49ers had a chance after they really lost the lead and fallen behind to hit. Uh, a deep ball to Emmanuel Sanders uh, going in the other direction. And when I saw that go up and I looked and I saw Sanders had, you know, several feet on his defender, I thought for sure that they were going to hit that um, because I had just been watching that sort of thing happen throughout December, throughout the playoffs. The 49ers always seemed to respond well to uh, whenever they would get punched in the, in the mouth. And, of course, that's, that pass fell uh, you know, three yards uh, ahead of Sanders. And I remember thinking, that was it. I mean, if you didn't hit that, uh, the, there's no there's no magic left. All the magic is on the other side of the field, and that's exactly what 
what the case was. What a beautiful segue, man. I appreciate that. That was like you read my mind there. I really I really do. Let's let's get into the guy who threw that pass there, shall we? I think every time we've had you on the show since he's uh traded got traded there from uh New England, we've asked this. But it is my favorite question to ask any opposing team's beat writer. Is Jimmy G good? Yes. He's good. Is he elite? Um I don't know. We have, we have, we'll have to find that out. He's only played one full season uh, in the NFL, and that was this, this last season. So from a, an age perspective, he's kind of right in the, in the meaty part of the curve for an NFL quarterback. From an experience perspective, he's you know where Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield are. I mean, guys who have just come into the league. Uh, so he doesn't really have that and um you know uh the, the thing that we keep pointing to is the giant leap that matt ryan made um from year one in shanahan to year two in shanahan system and it was dramatic i mean he had a very ho-hum year uh i think it was 2015 uh and then in 2016 he had the best best season of his career um, and uh, so the question is whether Garoppolo can make something similar to that uh, in his second full season under Shanahan. And, um, you know, frankly, you know, the deep ball, we, we saw him miss uh, uh, Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl. That's something that he's never been good at. He's never done it a lot uh, in college or with the Patriots or uh, so far with the 49ers. I mean, that's a missing element to his game. The other part is that he, he likes to take risks. He, he's a bit of a uh, a swashbuckler when it comes to that. Uh, he, he's got some Brett Favre in him, and a lot of times that, that works out great. And uh, other times, just like it, it, it was with Brett Favre, who, who's, who threw more interceptions than any other NFL quarterback, uh, it, uh, it comes back to bite him. So kind of finding that happy medium between taking risks and uh, making foolish passes. A lot of it, he threw a lot of uh, interceptions last year, uh, and a lot of them were, were just bad throws, just not seeing things. And uh, the question is whether he can eliminate that having a second year in uh, in Shanahan's system. What, one last thing on Jimmy G. The, the football tends to like show us how like small the margins are between either like good and elite or like winning and losing. The Niners had a few. The, both the Niners game with the Seahawks last year were great examples. I mean, there's like a kick away, or just there was just so many little plays in there that turned the tide for each team. And even in Week 17, it was just like good, good God. I mean, what, how, what, what do you measure that the distance was uh, between a win and a loss for the Niners in Week 17? Like what, seven inches? Maybe how how well, close is that? I don't even know if it was that. I just remember watching that that replay over and over again, and, and really not knowing. What, I, I knew that they couldn't give him the touchdown because it wasn't obvious that he crossed the plane, but it it also also wasn't real obvious that he didn't come really really close. Like we're talking, you know, a centimeter close to to at least kind of getting the very tip of that ball into the white. Um, so yeah, I, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, those games are well, well, those games were so tight. And uh, what's funny in the earlier game, the one in um, Levi Stadium, the same guy, Greg uh, Greenlaw, the uh, the rookie linebacker, had a had a pick of of Russell Wilson late in that overtime, 
was it the overtime or was it the yeah the overtime quarter? I can't remember. Yep, yep, overtime. But, uh, I felt like the 49ers should have taken the momentum of that and gone down and uh, and won the game. And then I, I think they had a uh, a backup kicker at that point. <laughs> yeah, he just missed that kick. It wasn't by seven inches. It was more like seventy-five feet. It was one of the worst misses I've ever seen. But um, he wasn't their regular kicker at the time. You want to kick that coffee habit, don't you? But you are also worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you just need to make sure you are hydrated. Hydrant starts at just $1 a packet for 30-day supply. Yes, $1 per packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, please go check out drinkhydrant.com football. That's drinkhydrant.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash football. Well, uh, well, I bring that back to Jimmy G with the margins. How how different do you think he's viewed this offseason um, if he hits that ball to Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl? Oh, it, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. The, the last seven minutes of that game has colored everybody's perspective of him. Um, he had a really, really good year. He came within just a few yards of, of, of a 4,000-yard season, uh, which the 49, no 49ers quarterback had done since Jeff Garcia, like in 1999, so not even this century. Um, you know, and you know, he was integral to that Week 17 win in Seattle. He had a really good game that game, uh, and, and that, was, that was everything. You remember, every, they, were, they were playing for seeding, like crucial seeding in that game. Uh, the 49ers lose that game, and they get the, the fifth seed. They win it. They get the, the number one seed. So that was that was a playoff game, really, uh, in a very inhospitable uh, climate against a team that they just um, have not been able to beat in Seattle for years and years. So that was huge. Um, but, yeah, the fact that he couldn't pull off um, anything, really, in the last seven minutes of that game, has really influenced a lot of people's uh, opinions of him to the point where you know there there's a certain segment. I think it's um, certainly not the majority of fans, but are, are sort of already looking at okay, well, when can we get rid of Jimmy G and, and get a better quarterback? Um, which which I feel is is foolish. He, he's got enough to win a Super Bowl, um, especially with all the other weapons uh, on the team around him. Speaking of weapons around him. There's one weapon who I know for a fact is good, and I think Mike would also agree, and that is Debo Samuel. I, I'm looking up old stuff from him in, when he got drafted about some of his weaknesses, and everybody was saying durability. Well, he shocked, I think, everybody when he played 15 out of 16 games, regular season games, that is, and he was pretty damn durable, and he showed out and showed up. What were your thoughts on his rookie season, and what are your expectations for him going into his second season yeah i mean he's he's part of this sort of um you know bigger question about emmanuel sanders because uh, remember they, they traded for emmanuel sanders at midseason and Debo samuel was having a, a good year to that point especially for a rookie once sanders entered the equation um samuel really had a, a phenomenal rookie season he, he was much better uh, so you know my, my point being that adding a veteran to that mix really helped out you know the rookies from a, a learning standpoint from an on-field standpoint um, defenses had to start looking at Sanders which freed up Samuel quite quite a bit uh, you know he, he had a great rookie year and 
sort of like a, um, I noticed that uh, a lot of the rookies or would-be rookies at the Combine this year were, were using Debo Samuel as, as an example. And I think it was because, um, you know, he didn't have the, the full route tree. He wasn't an accomplished route runner yet. He was still a rookie in that regard. But the 49ers were able to get him the ball in space, and he ran the ball like a running back. And, and so he could be effective, um, you know, just running very basic routes, running fly sweeps and things like that, jet sweeps. Um, uh, so uh, the point being that uh, he was uh, effective because he was so good with the ball in his hands. And he ran like a running back. He's built like a running back. Uh, so I, I feel like he's, uh, you know, that's going to continue. Um, I just wonder whether not having a veteran opposite him, he might have a rookie opposite him this year, uh, is going to have a, uh, a negative effect on his overall stats. Where do you think Debo ranks among second-year wideouts, such as DK Metcalf, Terry out of and plays for Washington and AJ Brown. Yeah, I mean he's he's certainly top three in that group. Um, you know AJ Brown had a phenomenal season. DK Metcalf had a phenomenal season, so he's probably behind those those two guys. Um, the, uh, the the guy uh, from Ohio State uh, in Washington had a had a great year too. So um, I think all those guys were second round and, and later guys too which kind of shows you that you don't necessarily need to spend a first round pick on a, on a wide receiver to, to have a big impact uh, as a rookie uh, but yeah I mean it's going to be fun to kind of follow that class because um, it's um, it's sort of uh, uh, a, a covert class not a lot of prominence heading into the season but uh, the numbers were really solid coming out of it yeah I'm just looking up his stats against the Seahawks, and he 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 did the Seahawks so dirty. <laughs> oh, you talking about Debo? Debo. That oh is, yeah, yeah no. Debo's he, part of the reason they don't like Trey. Trey Flowers <laughs> in Seattle. That's that's what he was doing him bad. Oh, I mean, he got a rushing touchdown. Excuse, yeah, I mean, eleven targets, yep. eight catches, one hundred and twelve yards. The first matchup, second matchup, five targets, five catches, one hundred and two yards. I mean, this dude is just a monster, and he's so physical. You said he's built like a running back. I saw that one of the weaknesses was he he's built like a running back. How is that a weakness? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, well, I mean, here's a, a funny Debo story. You know, these guys do all the uh, the visits, um, you know, flying from from one team to another right before the draft. He blew up a little bit. <laughs> he got there when he reported for that rookie minicamp in in uh, early May last year. He was heavier than they were expecting him. Um, and so the 49ers kind of freaked out a little bit, and Wes Welker, their wide receivers coach, took them on early morning runs. They would run like you know, two or three miles before practice even started, and he would do sprints afterward. And you know, they were trying to get him down to, I think that they were targeting like you know, 210 for him. They, want, they said, Debo, you need to be under 210. Well, despite all that running, and all the extra cardio stuff they did, he, he just couldn't lose the weight. And so um, he basically played the season at 220. Um, and he's got, a, he's got a big bubble. He's big in his lower half, and that's what he sort of uses to, to break through the tacklers. But, I, but my point is that I think the 49ers really kind of changed their outlook on him and, and how they, uh, you know, the size that they want him at. Uh, so I think 220 or maybe even 225 is, is going to be okay with them moving forward. 
Yeah, the 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 NFC West has got some got some receiving talent around here. We got D Hop now, got DK and Tyler, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, and, and Debo. And what's scary is you said he'll be at around two twenty two twenty five for Debo this year, maybe. Yeah. DK is six four and weighs that much. That is incredible. Yeah, and he's probably faster. <laughs> that is insane. No, that that is that is. Uh, you Matt, you mentioned a little bit about Javon uh, Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk, their first-round picks this year. I, before I, I have you expand on that, I want to talk about John Lynch for a second here because this is a magic trick he just keeps pulling off. It, correct me if I'm wrong. So it's 2017 is his first year, right? And he yeah. – they uh, it's it's him who gets the Bears to trade up, right, and make, like, that franchise, like, altering decision uh, to, to go get Mitch. Right, exactly. And then he he has what pick thirteen this year, and then I don't think the Bucks did anything wrong here move, moving up. But how does he just keep getting it to, to flex his draft muscles here and just move like one spot back? Like, what does he have like uh like naked picks of these GMs or something like that? How is he getting them to do this stuff? Yeah, you're right. He's the one spot master where he just <laughs> moves moves one spot and uh, gets some extra extra material for it. Um, yeah, he he looked like a genius back in 2017, but then. The first two guys that he picked, Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster, um, uh, have not worked out as planned, to say the least. So there was some um, comeuppance uh, with those with those picks, um, which always kind of shocks me. Is that you wouldn't think that you know a new regime that comes in, you know, a bad team, the the first moves that they make are are really bad moves. Um, that's usually the kiss of death. I mean, if you don't you don't hit on your uh, on your lottery picks, then how are you going to resurrect the franchise? Um, and it wasn't just that they made a lot of mistakes in 2017, uh, and yet not only were they able to survive it, they they've been able to, to flourish. Um, and part of that is because they they ended up taking in the fifth round, uh, you know, perhaps the best uh, tight end in, in the NFL in George Kittle. So. They were able to make up for some of their early mistakes, but um, there were there were some prominent mistakes on I mean, on this team. Brian Hoyer was their quarterback <laughs> to, to start the the Shanahan era, so um, you know it, 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 they did not get out of the blocks uh, very quickly. I, I guess is my point. Yeah, no, George drafting George Kittle helps <laughs> for sure. For sure, does. You're talk about dudes the Seahawks can't stop. That's a uh, that's one of them. Yeah, we'll, let's look forward to this 2020 season. Uh, you know, uh, Shil Kapadia, shout out to him, is doing like a nerd's guide to every team. I don't know if he's dropped a, a Niners one quite yet, but, you know, the math, no, tell, the math, the math tells us here that, like, the, you know, there's so much variance in the NFL. Some teams are going to get worse at things that they were great at. Some teams are going to be a lot better uh, at, at things, you know, in, in the next season. So let's start with the better. If the Niners were going to get better at something in 2020, you know, what do you think it would be? I mean, it's it's hard to say this because they were so good at, at pass rush last year. I mean, that's really what sort of um, you know triggered their defensive resurgence. But I, I think they can get better at that, and that's through D Ford, um, who was uh, you know dealt with knee tendonitis uh, in August last year, and then had a hamstring injury um, in. Uh, uh, I guess it was late October, either that or early November. I forget which one, but he was not healthy uh, all season. Um, didn't play in that Week 17 game in Seattle. Uh, and he's one of the best pass rushers in the league. And uh, you, you pair him with Nick Bosa on the other side, and 
you've got um, you know a Von Miller Demarcus Ware situation with your with your two edge rushers, and the 49ers never really had that last year, despite all their defensive success. So I feel like that that's an area that you know should should Ford um, be healthy next year. He only played 232 snaps uh, in 2019. If, if that number is say just 400. Uh, which is a you know a modest number. Uh, I, I think that the 49ers can be even better on defense than they were a year ago. Oh, Matt, you're scaring our you're scaring our listeners here, man. Don't tell us the Seahawks are going to have to deal with an even better Niners pass, Russ. Come on, man. Russ is Russ is running for his life already. Yeah, <laughs> man. It's like they was already be- beating up on him. Oh. oh no, it's all appreciate the the honesty there. Yeah, I didn't realize D Ford only played 22 percent of their defensive snaps last year. That's uh, yeah. Ooh, that's that's not anything at all. That's like spot duty. That's 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 nothing. That's ten snaps um, a game. <laughs> okay, well there we go. The Seahawks fans will probably like your answer to this, no matter what it is. If this if the Niners are gonna get any worse at anything, regress in any area in twenty twenty, what do you think it would be? Well, I've been talking about Emmanuel Sanders and uh, this is probably more of a the Saints question because uh you know, Sanders um it, Sanders' best game last year came in their win in New Orleans. And uh, now that same guy is with the Saints, and uh, that was another of the top teams in the NFC last year. So you, you can make the argument that, uh, that the Saints have made some ground up on the 49ers with that one transaction. And, um, you know, I, I feel like rookies are going to be the ones that really suffer this year with all the coronavirus stuff. So when you're, you lose Emmanuel Sanders and then you expect a rookie to sort of uh, take his role, and then that rookie doesn't get to take part in any sort of mini camps or OTAs, um, I, I think that that's going to hurt this team. Uh, that wide receiver position um, certainly early on is not going to be as strong as it was at the end of last season. Uh, now, speaking of wide receivers, I almost forgot this since uh, we're, you know, we got a bunch of the Husky fans who listen to our show. Is there, did, did the Niners put out like an APB for Dante Pettis? Uh, is he, what's, what's going on over there? I thought he had so much promise out of his rookie year. They like to keep six receivers on their active roster. You know, uh, I, I think Dante Pettis is in for a fight for one of those spots. Um, you know, health obviously is going to be the main dictator of, of who makes a team. But Dante Pettis's roster spot uh, is by no means uh, in in stone right now, and, and he was a high second round pick just two years ago. So um, he definitely needs to step up. He was a healthy scratch. For the Super Bowl, the, the 49ers decided to have just four wide receivers in uniform, and uh, they felt that they were better uh, not having Dante Pettis um, active for that game. So th- that kind of tells you all you need to know about his standing um, heading into training camp this year. Speaking of a battle, I'm looking at your running backs. I mean, you guys have Rasheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Jeffrey Wilson, and Jarek McKinnon, who came in to be the guy, but then tore his ACL, was it right? Uh, yeah, that was 2018. I, I forget which uh, ACL it was. Regardless, he tore his ACL, and then now he's going to have to go up against a team that last year, they had a pretty nasty trio of running. You had Mostert leading the team with 700-plus yards, Matt Breida, who's, who's gone now, but he had 630 yards, and then you have Tevin Coleman at 544 how is that running back room going to work? Is it all going to be sharing like it was last year? What do you see happening there? Yeah, I think it'll be just like last year. I, mean, I think that, that formula 
uh, really worked. Um, basically, it was you know Tevin Coleman being the starter. He's uh, a little bit bigger than uh, the rest of that group, and so he was the the one who was sent in to sort of soften up the uh, the defenses. And then Mostert ended up being the guy who who got the most carries per game. But really, it was uh, sort of a feel thing for them. Uh, Bobby Turner is their you know running backs coach. He's been in the league forever. Uh, I think he's 71 years old, but he's got a very good feel for which guy is running well and which guy is going to get hot uh, in a game. And um, they, they sort of went with the, the hot hand theory uh, towards the end of the season. That, that guy was usually Mostert, but it wasn't, you know, uh, for, for the whole season. I mean, um, each of those backs that you mentioned, Brita, Coleman, um, and, and Mostert had multiple games where they were the, 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 the lead running back that game. Uh, multiple 100-yard games, that, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be uh, the case this year. The the big question mark is McKinnon. And if McKinnon is back to 100%, then, um, you know, this is another <laughs> question that Seahawks fans might not want to, <laughs> to hear, but, you know, that, that running backs group could be even better because Ooh. McKinnon is a guy that Shanahan has really – relished having out there because he's so good as a receiver out of the backfield so he would be sort of the the third down back the uh uh and long type of guy uh who who runs the ball and uh who matches up really well against linebackers in in the passing game all right i'm gonna file that away for my fantasy purposes here don't draft any running backs from the 49ers (laughs) for that timeshare stuff is annoying man when you're trying to guess which guy will go off man and then anyway that's Neither, neither here nor there. Last thing, Matt, for you. We have make a prediction here. We had we had Jordan make one. We had Scott. You know, Scott make one, right? Actually, it was just Jordan. It was just Jordan. Yeah, oh, we, okay. We, well, no. We skipped the step. Uh, it's all right. We'll have Matt's gonna do one. All <laughs> right. Give me a. Assuming we get sixteen games, we don't know if we're fans or no fans, but assuming we get sixteen games, twenty twenty. What's the uh, Niners' record? I'm gonna go twelve and four. Ooh. I mean, they were thir- thirteen and three last year. Um, I think they um, they snuck up on some teams early on. Nobody really took them all that seriously uh, in the first half of last year. Um, but um, you know, I, I think that teams will be prepared to face them. And um, yeah, like I said, it's, uh, it's there's a possibility that this team is better uh, than it was last year. Um, I, I think health. Um, the, the 49ers have not been a healthy team the last three years, really. Um, but uh, if those averages start to uh, go in their favor all of a sudden, uh, that's that's going to be a very uh, tough out for, for any team this year. Does that 12-4 and four include the NFC West division title? Yeah, I think it would. Um, um, I, I, you know, everybody talks about... Uh, the, the Cardinals being the surprise team in that division, I think they, you know, everything's looking really positive for them. But I, I feel like the, the Cardinals have enough issues still, uh, especially on defense, that they're not going to challenge. And I, I think it's going to be between the Seahawks and, and the 49ers again, just like the good old days. So uh, those two those two Titans are back at the 
top of the division, and we'll probably be duking it out, uh, you know, in, in the final week yet again. All right. Well, can't wait for that. Both games last year in 2019 were just outstanding. So, like, sign me up for five more of those, really, if that's if that's what it takes. That was uh, Matt Barrows, covers the 49ers for The Athletic. Shout out to the company once again, and shout out to Matt for taking some time out uh, to join us. Uh, make sure you guys always uh, check us out on whatever iTunes, Spotify. We're always on The Athletic. Make sure you remind Chris, tweet him, whatever, that it's called the Tweet Machine. And since we're on the subject of social media, Matt, where can they follow you? I'm uh, at Matt Barrows on, on Twitter. See that? Matt, are you verified? Oh, <laughs> I've been verified for years, guys. I've been doing this. Uh, I was like one of the original Twitter guys back in 2006 or so. Oh, wow. Veteran. Oh, we'll see. There, there you go. Blue check. Yeah, I grandfathered yeah. in. <laughs> my, my, my check mark is gray. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll see if we can get Chris one. You know, we're working on it. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. And that was the third and final installment of our NSC West uh, Roundup series. Make sure if you haven't been caught up, uh, go back and check out our episode with uh, Scott Bordeaux uh, with the Rising Star NFC Cardinals or Arizona Cardinals. I feel like they're the they're like the dark horse, like fun team now. Uh, And then what? That would mean the Rams aren't Rams at the bottom. Yeah, I just, just kind of fell off. That sucks. It happens. Well, that sucks for the Rams. I don't yeah. really care <laughs> care about that. And obviously, that was the one uh, with Matt. That was fun, Chris. It was. That was They're always fun. Yeah, that was that was tight. Uh, remember, guys, tweet machine. Tell Chris, tweet machine. Uh, how about I just get a blue check just for being a journalist and broadcast, and we'll leave it at that. No need for tweet machine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. That mind says why you don't got the check. That's <laughs> a, uh, it's on you. Well, other than that, guys, we want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Seahawks Man to Men. Be sure to rate, review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Spread the word. Tell a friend about the episodes that we've dropped. We also just had a recent one with talking about legalizing blackness. Make sure you check that one out. It's Definitely really favorite episode. Yep. So be sure to share that one as well and listen to it. Ask questions. We're here for you as well. Anything you want to add, Mike? Nope. nope. That's it. We'll catch you guys later. We out. Time to your